Hey, if you listen to this podcast week after week, then you will absolutely love my books. There's Travel Light, which basically gives you all of the steps for following your heart. And then there's Knowing Where to Look, which is full of inspirational stories and anecdotes that will help you shift your perspective in the most inspiring way. And for those of you who can't seem to crack the meditation code, grab a copy of Bliss More, How to Succeed in Meditation Without Really Trying, and your meditation practice will never be the same. All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show. I was like wandering around doing these interviews for like no particular purpose or end game. And it wasn't until I got that interview with the businessman who broke down in tears that I was like, I felt in my heart, I got it. Like, I was like, this is it. I feel it. This is good. This has a real purpose and it's something special. And then I edited it. And I think I showed maybe my parents, maybe a friend, and then just posted it and like shared it with more people. And then they shared it and then more people started sharing it. And then a girl who had gone to my school who worked for the Huffington Post at the time, she like wrote about it. And then overnight it went like viral. And I started getting messages from people all over the world. I remember sitting in like the campus lobby and a woman emailed me and said, your video made me cry and changed the entire way I think about my life. Like for so long, I've been trying to quit smoking. And for some reason, seeing your video like instantly made me realize that's what I need to do right now in my life. Like things like that, or people saying they were contemplating suicide when they came across the video and it gave them hope. Like stories like that made me feel like this was really a powerful, simple idea that I had to keep working on. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the Light Watkins Show with yours truly, Light Watkins. If this is your first time here, I interview ordinary people just like you and me who have taken extraordinary leaps of faith, often in the direction of their path, their purpose, or their mission. And in doing so, they've been able to positively impact the lives of many others who have either heard about their story or who've witnessed them in action or who've directly benefited from their work. So I met today's guest recently at an event in Los Angeles, and I was so impressed with her mission that I just had to have her on the show to find out the backstory, which of course did not disappoint. Her name is Kalina Silverman. So Kalina is a Los Angeles native, and her mission began while she was a sophomore at Northwestern University. And long story short, Kalina was studying broadcast journalism, and she went on this trip to Berlin to work on a student documentary. And on her last day in Berlin, she went to the Berlin Wall, which of course you have to do. And then on the wall, she saw the question, what do you want to do before you die? And she was just struck by that question. So this was sort of a moment of awakening for her because back at school, Kalina had felt a strange sense of loneliness And she realized that it was because most of her relationships were superficial. She was having superficial conversations. She wasn't going all that deep. So in that moment in Berlin, Kalina vowed to become the change that she wanted to see in her life. And she started initiating deeper conversations, deeper interactions for herself. And one idea she had was to take a camera and to go around and to walk up to strangers and to ask them what do they want to do before they die. 
And so she did that. She got these incredible answers. And then she uploaded the video to a YouTube channel. And the video ended up going viral. And then soon after that, Kalina had come up with this name for this unique approach to deeper connections. She called it Big Talk as opposed to Small Talk. So Big Talk was the name for her movement. And then not long after that, she was awarded a Fulbright research grant to study ways that she could use Big Talk to build empathy across cultures. Kalina ended up giving a TEDx talk that got 6.5 million views and counting. And Big Talk has become this global sensation, which has card decks and it's a video series and there's an app and celebrities like Billie Eilish and the Los Angeles Lakers have all gone public about their admiration for Big Talk. So, yeah, I can't wait to share Kalina's backstory with you. Because she fits the mold of most of the guests that I have, which is, again, she's a regular person. She had something that didn't sit right with her. And instead of waiting for somebody else to create a solution, she decided to create the solution for herself. So without further ado, let us dive into our conversation with Big Talk creator Kalina Silverman. Kalina, it is an honor and a pleasure to have you on my podcast. Thank you so much for making the time. I cannot wait to share your story, your so inspiring story with my audience. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a blessing to just have randomly met you recently and instantly feel that connection. Yeah. So we met at our mutual friend, Chris Pan's place. Chris has actually been on the podcast a couple of times. He came on and talked about the origin story of VOMO, which is the Mm -hmm. voice movement that he's starting. And at VOMO, which is basically a really cool sing-along experience, right? It's like if karaoke and uh, meditation had a love child, it would be... That's a good way of describing it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so we went around, we introduced ourselves, and you introduced yourself as the founder of this movement called Big Talk, which immediately got my attention for a couple of reasons. Number one is because it reminded me of those cards that Chris Pan used to give out for his My Intent events. Mm -hmm. And we gave some out at some of the mutual events that we did together. I was like, oh, that's what that is. But then also just the idea, the idea of Big Talk just was really intriguing. And I just had to, I wanted to know everything. I don't want to freak you out by like bombarding (laughs) you with questions, but I wanted to know everything about how that started when someone looks at you just casually you look like a young woman probably just out of college or something like that like how did she start this whole thing so that's what I want to get into but I always like to start the conversations talking about childhood so let's just Mm. spend a moment you grew up in in Santa Monica yes I grew up right here where I am now in Santa Monica California what did they call you when you were a kid, like you were four or five years old? Were you Callie or Cal? KK. Or Kalina. KK. KK. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's take it back to the KK days. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favorite toy or activity? Drawing and singing and dancing. <laughs> that's, that's three. <laughs> Talk about what you got from those artistic forms. Mm-hmm. 
how did it nourish your soul, drawing, singing, and dancing? I was always very creative and expressive and lucky to have been raised with parents who valued giving children a self-esteem. So when I was a little kid, I liked doing theater and I was always drawing and drawing like random weird things that I thought of and posting when the internet first became a thing. I remember I posted onto this site called like deviant art or something, which is kind of like a culty art site. And I would like love staying up late and looking at art and posting my art and talking about art and then theater as well. When I got to middle school, I became more subconscious and less into like theater and dancing and things like that. But I, when I was a kid, I, I loved being able to project my voice and my expression and feeling. So that was a big part of my upbringing was being very free and creative and vocal. Were you good? Did you win awards? Did people give you recognition <laughs> for those? I actually did win like I won the yearbook cover contest in fifth grade so I designed and drew the yearbook cover and I got like the lead in this musical in fifth grade and I remember after like people coming up to me including the daughters a girl who went to camp with me her parents were like famous fashion designers like I think it was like guests or something like that and they were like oh you should like come model for us or do something like that but I mean my parents always valued academia more than like stuff like theater and acting, even though we're in LA. So I didn't really pursue anything like that when I was a kid. So I have a weird question about this. When you did get recognized as being good at whatever you were doing, did you feel surprised or did you kind of know in the back of your mind? Yeah, I kind of am good. So (laughs) no. Whatever I do, I think I know when I'm good and when I'm not like, I know when I hit it, you know, you can feel it based off of the effort and the feeling you put into something, you know when it's good, like intrinsically. So I did feel, I remember like at that stage, I think when I was like 10, I was like, oh, I've hit it. Like I've hit my peak. I've peaked at 10 years old. I'm good. And then everything kind of like (laughs) fell down later on, you know, when you're like going through puberty and reinventing yourself. And then I remember at that time, I didn't feel like I was good. You said your parents, they reinforced education. What were some of the philosophies or ideologies that you remember your parents echoing around your house when you were, you were coming up? So both my parents are doctors and my grandparents are doctors. And right now my little sister's in medical school. And I think my great grandparents were doctors and engineers. So, you know, working hard and pursuing education was always a philosophical ideology preached in my household. But my mom always said if she wasn't a doctor, she would have wanted to be a writer. And my dad also said like he would have wanted to be a playwright or something. So I feel like I got those parts from them. And I've always been really into activities and trying everything. And I think I was able to try a lot of things when I was younger. And I remember on summer break, my mom would have like a list for me of things I should check off that day. And I still do that now. I like have so many lists all around me, like all the time of things (laughs) each day to do. So I've kind of always been raised with like the seize the day, seize the opportunity kind of mindset, but also the Mm -hmm. very much like go, 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 do as much as you can. What did you want to be when you grew up? This is when you're like a young teenager, like you're looking at your parents as doctors. Mm -hmm. They're saying secretly, I want to be a writer. How did that impress upon you and your career aspirations? So I had like a list that I called the five A's and it was like Mm -hmm. author, actress, architect, (laughs) animal biologist, and anchor woman, (laughs) like someone on the news. Wow. And so that's what I would tell people when I like couldn't choose one thing. And sometimes I like to think now like Big Talk has afforded me the ability to do like an essence of all those different things.
Hey there, really quickly, have you wanted to find your purpose or be more grateful or start a daily meditation practice, but you're not quite sure where to begin? Well, if inner work is like a drop of water, thehappinessinsiders.com is like your ocean. That's my online community where you can learn real-world techniques for cultivating more fulfillment from the inside out. So whether it's learning how to manifest abundance or access your potential or overcome fear or even just start walking every day, I've got a blueprint for you, which means you no longer have to use any more shoddy guesswork and you don't have to use the lone wolf approach to improving yourself. For a small accountability fee, you'll get community, you'll get accountability directly from me, and you'll get comprehensive instructions for getting your meditation practice off the ground. And for my podcast listeners, you'll receive 30% off of the all-access pass if you go to thehappinessinsiders.com right now and use the promo code HAPPY. Again, thehappinessinsiders.com. Enter the promo code HAPPY and you'll get 30% off on a yearly all-access pass, which gives you access to dozens of inner work challenges and masterclasses, such as my 108-day meditation challenge, which has an 80% completion rate. Plus, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is HAPPY. All right, back to the episode. Why Northwestern out of all the colleges in the world? Why did you choose that one? Yeah. So Northwestern has one of the best journalism schools in the world. So I got into their journalism program. So it was just kind of like. Anchor woman. Yeah. Anchor woman. (laughs) That's the one I chose for that. Take us to sophomore year. You described, and I listened to a few of your other interviews and you described Mm -hmm. how you knew a lot of people, but you didn't really feel like you were deeply connected to anyone. And I guess before you talk about that, which came first, Ecuador and Germany, or this epiphany that I, I don't feel very the like epiphany strong came first. Yeah. Okay. So how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Why did it happen? Where where were you? What was going on around you? Yeah, I mean, I think I took for granted that I was raised in Santa Monica and was with the same I didn't move around as a kid, so I was with the same people and had really deep friendships and connections up until I left mm-hmm. for college. And that was my first time moving to a new place by myself. And I think like the culture of the Midwest feels more foreign to me than living in another country. (laughs) And when I moved there, I felt really confused, disconnected, lonely, even though other people didn't see it that way. Like I I was going to a lot of parties. I made a lot of friends. I joined sorority. I started a club and I would meet a lot of people and have all these kind of service level connections, but still feel this like deep existential feeling of loneliness. Like I remember I would just like go back to my dorm room and cry and like just didn't know what to do and like it was the first time I ever like knew what like therapy even was and so I remember I called the school therapist and I was like so ashamed and they're like oh you're just having an adjustment disorder and like regardless if it was an adjustment disorder or not like I just knew something was not right and that like I craved something more fulfilling and and like that made more sense to me and I was studying journalism at the time so the following summer I had the ability to go to Germany to do a documentary about the Holocaust and Ecuador to do one about education reform. And because we only had a few weeks in each place, we had to like meet new people right away and get into the deep stuff right away. Cause like when you're filming a documentary and interviewing people, like as we are now, you go way more in depth than you would in just a normal everyday conversation. And I saw the power of that. And when I came back home to Los Angeles, I thought, wow, I really want 
those deeper connections in my everyday life. Like I don't want it just to be a, you know, a travel magical project thing. You saw something in Germany and the Berlin wall. I don't want you to leave that out of the story. Oh, yeah. that kind of inspired. Yeah. Okay. So there's two things I'll say. So before I left for Germany, I was having a deep conversation with a friend and I said, well, these are the conversations I've been missing this past year in school. And he said, yeah, screw small talk. And that was how I got the name idea for big talk. I didn't really know what to do with it at the time. It just kind of like, ding, a light bulb and put it, I just kind of laid it aside in my brain. And then on my last day in Germany, I saw a question written on the Berlin wall and it said, what do you want to do before you die? And something just like clicked. And I was like, that's big talk. That question like is the heart of what really matters in life, what people care about. And so when I came back home, I decided to try out an experiment where I walked up to strangers and skipped the small talk to ask them, what do you want to do before you die? Your friend who you're having a conversation with who said, screw small talk, did you verbalize big talk to yourself in that moment? Did you like say, hey, that'd be a great idea for a game or, you know, a way to engage with people or, or how clear was it in your awareness at that time? I knew the name had power, but I had no idea what it would do and where it could lead. Did you go home and Google and buy the domain name or anything like that? No, no, nothing like that. It was just in my head. The following summer, actually, after like the thing happened in Germany, I had this blue notebook that I think is still here where I started writing down big talk and what it could be and ideas for what it could evolve into. And there's like this whole chart where I put like all these different manifestations of what big talk could be. So it was incubating for about a year then. Yeah. And had you told anyone about it or you, it was just literally renting space in your head. And as it was, you would have these little experiences and then it would, you know, you'd say to yourself, oh, that'd be interesting idea for big talk. And then seeing the Berlin wall question, like this question is definitely an esoteric question, but I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say it's a question we haven't heard before. So what was it about that question that really spoke to you? I'm curious. Mm -hmm. So it was the summer before my junior year of college and junior year is when Mm -hmm. everyone's like, this is what I'm going to do with my professional life. And everyone like applies to be a consultant or whatever. And I knew from the bottom of my heart that I like wanted to do something different and original. And I think that question hit me because it's like, oh shoot, I got to do it now. Like, otherwise I'm going to be like pulled into this rat race of all the college kids trying to like find like a typical job after school. And so I did it before junior year and sure enough it changed everything like I left school halfway through junior year and I think that question spoke to me at that point in my life when it was like it's kind of like now or never like this is the time and I've noticed in general like big talk speaks to people the most during times of transition in their lives or when they're contemplating some big life change like I'll have people who learn about big talk and it doesn't mean anything to them and then a few years later they reach out to me and tell me about how like They used it in their life in whatever way, and like it finally hit them. You didn't exactly leave school because you wanted to leave school. You were basically kicked out of this study abroad program. Yeah. Talk about that experience. And I guess that was the beginning of your crisis moment, right? Oh, yeah. That kind of led to you leaning in on this Big Talk initiative. So before I started Big Talk, I had gotten into this prestigious program I had worked all year for to go to South Africa and do a journalism residency there. And then I created Big Talk and I saw the impact 
it had because I had like hundreds of people from all over the world reaching out to me who saw the video. And like as a college student, that's like insane to like experience that. I mean, now I think it's more normal with social media being such a thing. But back then it was like crazy to start receiving messages from strangers who are telling you, you know, that you've changed their life in some way. And I just felt suddenly this kind of like mission, like I had to fulfill. I remember recording a video to myself on my laptop where I promised myself, I'm like, you're giving this two years of your life. And I told myself that. And I mean, now it's been like five, seven, I don't know. And so suddenly like my whole world was big talk. Every interaction I had, everything I did related back to it in kind of an unhealthy way. It was like an obsession way. And like, you hear that now a lot with founders who like go through these kind of obsessive things with their startup or project or whatever. And I was in this class for the residency for South Africa. I was about to go and we had to do a final project. And I chose to do mine about how art and like community or something like that could help drive social change. And everyone else was doing their projects about like prison systems and racism and really intense kind of like heavy topics. And (laughs) my professors were like, you aren't ready for this. Like Johannesburg is not you know, like a fairy tale place, like you're making it seem like in this project, like you can't just like focus on these happy, creative, artsy, whatever things. And it was such like a shock to my system, but I'm so glad it did happen that I was kicked out of it because I knew I didn't want to go. Like I felt like torn in two at that time. I remember like, I would like go into professor's offices and they'd be like, are you okay? Like you don't look right. Like I was just like off. And it was the winter in Chicago, which gives me seasonal depression. And I was running a club at the time called Mixed. And all my friends were like spending all their nights going out partying. And I just like didn't feel that drive anymore. So I just knew it wasn't the right place for me. And I left and I came back home to Los Angeles. And it was, again, a very lonely time. One of your professors gave you some sage advice as well about wearing yourself down. What did he say to you? Yeah. So there was one professor I had as a mentor at the time. So there were a couple, there were two who kicked me out of the South Africa program, but there was also a lot of professors who were like really big advocates for big talk and including a school Mm -hmm. rabbi and a research advisor. There were so many people who were like really on the journey with me. And the professor, he said, you have to feed yourself before you try to feed the world. And what was happening was I was trying to feed the world, but I was not feeding myself as, you know, a 20 year old college student. Let's talk nuts and bolts for a second. You're in sure. this broadcast journalism program. So you you have access to cameras or you just use your phone or take us to that first day you decided to go out and go up to people. How did you decide who to go up to? What was your opening line and what happened from there? I brought my like little DSLR camera that I had and a microphone and a tripod and I just carried it around and a notebook to get people to sign it. You were just by yourself. Yeah. A lot of people think like someone filmed it for me or like, you know, there's like people, it was just me just carrying all this equipment and walking around the streets, kind of feeling like a crazy weirdo. Like I was like, this is so abnormal. I mean, this was like before people were like posting stuff all the time on like TikTok and Instagram and streaming everything. This was like before it was normal to just walk around with a video camera. And this is up in Evanston, downtown Evanston somewhere, or did you go like to the loop and do this? So the first video was actually right in Los Angeles. And then I think the second or third one, I was back at school, but I was just walking around like the boardwalk, going to parks, like public spaces in general. And I would choose people to talk to who weren't busy. Like they weren't like rushing off somewhere. They were usually like sitting on a bench or something. 
And you can just tell when someone has an energy that's going to be more open and willing to talk with you. And there's certain people you kind of take a gamble on when you approach them, but you can just tell when someone has a story. I don't know. You can feel it when you walk past someone who really has a, I mean, everyone has a story, but who really has a story to tell or like some sort of kind of unfinished business in their heart. You can feel it. What did you say? You went up to the person on the bench and how'd you open them? I said, hi, I'm doing a project for college. I said for college, not entirely true, where I am interviewing people for a short time and asking them questions about life. Would you be willing to participate? And half the time they'd say no and half the time they'd say yes. Or they'd be like, how long is it going to take? And sometimes the conversations lasted a few moments and other times they lasted 10, 20 minutes. Yeah, a big talk conversation can lead to so much more. Do you remember any of those initial conversations that did go to a very deep place that kind of moved you? Yeah. I remember them mainly because they're in the video and it's almost like these people are, they're almost like my spiritual advisors, but they're just everyday people I've met. They say something. And then when I watch it back, I capture that one like truly human moment that really sticks out to me. And that's the one I put in the video and I keep it in my mind. Like they've guided the way I live my life from like the businessman in Beverly Hills, who is like, I only have five minutes, like wrap it up. And then he's the one who broke down crying and who at the end was just like, you know what? Family is all that matters. I wish I worked less and like had that kind of epiphany on camera to this other woman who said like, if she only had a little amount of time to live, like she would take a road trip to see someone and finally tell them she loves them. And this elderly woman who like said she didn't come out as being lesbian until she was in her fifties. And she's like, now I just try to make every moment count. Like things like that. Just like very like simple sound bites about life that like they really stick with me and guide me on how to live life. And those are the people who give me the best advice. Like I love listening to like celebrity wisdom and whatever and the ancient greats, but there's stories and wisdom all around us every day. And that's what Big Talk has taught me. And the question they were answering mainly was, what do you want to do before you die? The same question you saw on the Berlin Wall. Were you yeah. making that like, this is the opening question or was that the, was the opening question? question. Was a series of questions? It was, what do you want to do before you die? And then what about if you found out you only had one day left to live? And then what matters most in life to you? So, you know, a part of having a deep conversation with someone that you meet is that you have to share as well. You just can't be the one that's going and, and excavating all your, your deepest wounds. Mm-hmm. Was that a part of your interview strategy? Did you share anything with them that was a little bit vulnerable? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes, not always. Like now, if I have a big chat conversation, like at an event or use a card game, like it's a two-way thing. At the time, I think I was mm-hmm. more focused on making almost like a little documentary to showcase the point of doing big talk instead of small talk. But there were people that after I would have a deeper conversation with, or it would turn into a relationship that went beyond just a video. How many of these little clips did you have before you made the video that went viral? I think I interviewed like 25 people and then I included 12 of them in the video. So it's like half. In one day? No. A couple of days? No. It was a few weeks, I think, over the course. Like I kind of like to just like go about my life. And when I meet someone and I feel connected to them, even if it's a stranger in an instant, then I'll ask them to make big talk with me. Like, it's not just kind of like going, going, going like all at once. Like it's like, as I live my life, I think that's kind of what big talks about is like making every day interactions more meaningful. So you already knew how to edit 
and everything because you've been in this program and it's a pain in the butt though <laughs> editing is hard <laughs> and like takes a lot of time did you get feedback from other people before you posted it or you just kind of like you said earlier you felt you knew when it was right when it was ready to, to post so i was like wandering around doing these interviews for like no particular mm-hmm. purpose or end game and it wasn't until i got that interview with the businessman who broke down in tears that I was like, I felt in my heart. I got it. Like, I was like, this is it. I feel it. This is good. This has a real purpose and it's something special. And then I edited mm-hmm. it. And I think I showed like maybe my parents, maybe a friend and then just posted it and like shared it with more people. And then they shared it. And then more people started sharing it. And then a girl who had gone to my school who worked for the Huffington Post at the time, she like wrote about it. And then overnight it went like viral and I started getting messages from people all over the world. How did that feel? Incredible to have like made a real impact by doing something that was so personal at first and then realizing other people felt the same way. Because a lot of the stories I received were people who said like, I also went or I'm going through a period of loneliness or depression or like contemplating something in my life. Like there's a woman, I remember sitting in like the campus lobby and a woman emailed me and said, your video like made me cry and changed the entire way I think about my life. Like for so long, I've been trying to quit smoking. And for some reason, seeing your video like instantly made me realize that's what I need to do right now in my life. Like things like that or people saying they were contemplating suicide when they came across the video and it gave them hope. Like just stories like that made me feel like this was really a powerful, simple idea that I had to keep working on. Initially, you're thinking in the back of your mind, anchor woman, <laughs> architect, actress. Yeah. And then you have this viral video. So now mm-hmm. you have a little bit of a conflict. You know, do mm-hmm. I keep pursuing what I was pursuing or is there something to this? Yeah. So talk about the conversation that was going on in your head and how you made whatever choice you ultimately made. Yeah. So I was studying broadcast journalism at the time. And like the typical kind of shiny thing to do is be like a newscaster on camera and like interview people. And I quickly learned, like, I didn't really want to just like tell the news. A lot of times telling the news makes people feel bad or whatever. I wanted to be more involved in storytelling in people's lives and do something that wasn't so like black and white. And I thought, you know, like doing big talk videos, it's still kind of like being an anchor woman or journalist. I'm telling people stories just in a method that I created by myself. So I guess what was the challenge was realizing that I was no longer just like on the track to go be a newscaster, I was like some sort of like journalist entrepreneur thing. And that was scary because then I was like, oh shoot, I'm really on my own path here and I have to figure it out all by myself. Did you run it by your parents or any of these oh, teachers yeah. or oh yeah. What I took- everybody, were people all 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 in? Or were they like, uh, oh, you may want to finish school first and then, you know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I remember so I had met this other woman who was kind of a mentor to me who was also an entrepreneur. And she showed me this PowerPoint presentation that she made for her parents to explain to them why she should leave school or why she should go on her own journey and work on her business idea instead. And so I like decided to make something like that too. And I showed it to my mom and she was like, that's cool, but you still need to finish school. Cause I was on a leave of absence. And so I took like an online UCLA course And then I did this internship for three months at Facebook in Silicon Valley. And then I got my degree and went back and graduated. And everyone was like, I think I've seen a ghost. Like, you're back. 
So I did graduate. I just didn't go back to campus. And during those like Mm -hmm. one and a half years when everyone was finishing college, I was like giving talks, including the TEDx talk I gave about big talk. And I was just like showing up at events by myself and just bringing a deck of big talk cards. And I went to USC and I like worked on big talk there with the Annenberg communication school. And I was just like a little powerhouse. And that's when I met Chris too, because I showed up at this event and met him. And I was just kind of like a college age person out in the real world, trying to carve a space for big talk. So again, I want to go back and just fill in some of the gaps. And the reason I'm doing this is because people are out there, you know, they have an idea, they have something that's lighting them up. And I don't want them to think that it's impossible for them to do it or that you have some kind of magical wand that like there's processes behind all of yeah. this. So with, it wasn't with magic. Talking, <laughs> yeah. Generally you're invited to speak. How did you mm-hmm. receive that invitation? Yeah, sure. So first I had never given a public talk about big talk before I had made mm-hmm. the video and I had gone, gone back home. And then I saw online, there was this thing you could apply to give a talk at called the Teal Summit. And it was like a bunch of college age people who were like entrepreneurial and had started their own thing. And that was a whole new world to me because I didn't have any friends like that. And it was in San Francisco. So I decided to go by myself to San Francisco and stay in a hostel and give this talk. It's things like now that I would not have the courage to do. And I did it then because I had no other choice. I was all alone and I was either going to have to succeed at Big Talk or not. And I went and I gave this talk and it was like, the most attended talk at the summit. And the summit was all these like kind of techie people being like, I'm going to make a million dollars doing some XYZ tech thing. And I was just like, here's my project called Big Talk. And it's about skipping small talk for you to connect with anyone. And a ton of people showed up and there's tons of positive feedback. And someone came up to me after and she said, hey, I'm organizing this TEDx talk at my school this year. Would you want to come? And it was this like tiny liberal arts school in Missouri called Westminster College. And I like really didn't want to at the time. One, I think there's like fear of doing something like that. And two, it was just like, it seems so random to me, but I did it. And I flew to Missouri and there's probably like a hundred people in the audience. And I was super nervous. And then now it's been viewed by 6 million people. And I wish I had prepared more for it. <laughs> and like, you know, it done everything from just <laughs> even making my hair smooth or something. Like I didn't know it was going to be seen by so many people. And it's completely changed Big Talk and my life since then. You have mm-hmm. these cards that you got printed up. So yeah. talk about the process of, of that. Like you have, how many cards are there? How'd you come up with these questions? How'd you know which questions to use versus any other kind of questions? And yeah. And uh, how did you pay for that? Yeah. So this is the new card game, but this one was just made before that. There's this tiny little paper black and white one that I made. And so right before I left college, I walked into this like design thinking research lab and met the professor there and told him that I wanted to scale this idea of big talk. And I didn't really know what that meant because I had no tech experience or whatever, or design or research. And he believed in me. He saw the passion, I guess, and let me join his like DTR research lab. And so one like kind of lo-fi way of like testing and scaling big talk was creating question cards. And we tested out different questions with people that like people resonated with or didn't. And then I came down to this criteria for what makes a question a big talk question. And it's something that's universal. So it means anyone could answer it just because they're a human being. And that really cancels out a lot of, you know, party dinner conversation. Because sometimes you'll be in a group of people and you just won't feel comfortable because you don't know the subject matter, the expertise they're talking about. 
So like a big talk question would get rid of that risk. And like, it's all about inclusivity of being a human. And they were questions that were open-ended. So they weren't just like yes or no questions. And they weren't about politics or facts or opinions. They were just about our human experiences. So we just like, I had a list of like 200 questions that we narrowed down. And so the very first deck had like 90 in them. And even, and those weren't perfect either. Like when I went to Singapore, we narrowed it down to like 30 or something because we tested them out across different cultures. And if a question elicited an answer that was a bit flat multiple times, you would probably weed that one out. Yeah. How much did it cost to create this card deck? Did you sell them? Were you interested in making money off of them? Were you going to list them on Amazon? Like, What was the plan with that? So the very first edition of the Big Top card game were note cards where I hand wrote questions on them. And I tested them out at this dinner with 10 strangers I hosted in San Francisco. And I hosted it at the house of this guy who had seen my uh, video and just invited me to come host a dinner with him. It was very much like in the beginning, it was very much just like trusting strangers and doing things with them. Yeah, you were big time. (laughs) Yeah. And then the second edition, I was like, started doing Big Talk workshops. And so when I was like doing this research at USC, this person recommended me a site called Printer Studio, where you could do like custom cards. And of course, if you're not ordering them in bulk, it gets expensive, but I probably ordered like 20 or something like that and use them. And then I ordered maybe a hundred or something like that. And then when my TEDx talk came out, someone who worked at Amazon emailed me and was like, my boss's boss's boss saw your talk and wants you to get these cards on Amazon. And they like had a guy who talked with me and really helped me and walked me through the whole process of like creating a product and selling it. And I think the first investment I made was like $1,000 of my own money and like buying a bulk order of the cards. And now each time I order a thousand of them at a time and ship them off to Amazon or my own home. And it's all just been like my own kind of money reinvesting into it. And, but I'm like really risk giver. So like I have to make sure people want something before I create it and try to even buy it and then sell it. Was that using create space on Amazon? I don't even know what it was called at the time. That's their self-publishing platform Mm. that I used to publish my first book. So it wasn't published through Amazon. Right. You just use them to actually get it on the cards and print on demand. No, it wasn't even printed on demand. Like Mm. all I did was really just like hold my hand and walk me through the process of becoming a business owner because I wasn't a business owner up until Mm. that point. And now there's tons of conversation cards on Amazon and I'm just one of many, but at the time it was like this novel thing. How are you paying your bills while you were going through this process? Did you have Good a side question. job? Your parents giving you money? Oh, I was always working. I would like work, big talk, work, big talk. So after like I gave the talk and after I went viral and all that stuff, I still didn't have any money or job. And I applied for, no, I didn't apply. I was kind of forced to get a job, but I became a secretary for three months. And it was literally the opposite of everything I love. It was horrible. I was sitting in a desk in this dark room and not talking to anyone because no one would walk in there because it was like the celebrity place that like, it's not like a normal place where people walk in. And I used that time to apply for a Fulbright grant to go to Singapore to research ways to use big talk to build empathy across cultures. And so I was like, yeah, getting paid, what, I don't know, like $15, $20 an hour. And I would apply while I was sitting there at the computer and write up this grant application because that took hours and hours and hours to put together. And on my lunch breaks, I would go and call my research advisor. And yeah, I worked really hard. And then I also applied for this creative residency at 72 and Sunny. 
And I also did like a three month internship at some like marketing agency or whatever. And then I also like modeled and babysat. So whenever I wasn't like working on big talk, I was just kind of like hustling small side jobs. Yeah. And you got the Fulbright. And I got the Fulbright and I was crying and my whole life changed after that. And since then, my life's been all big talk. You know how when you are admitted to some sort of, I don't know, membership thing or you win an award, you may not understand why they selected you initially. But then after you're in the club and you look around and you see all the other people who've also been admitted, then it starts to make sense. And then when yeah. someone comes to you and says, hey, how can I? get this award or scholarship, you can kind of very clearly say you need to make sure you include this, that, the other. What was it in hindsight that was the reason why you won that Fulbright scholarship, in your opinion? With Fulbright research, it's like a very niche, nerdy passion. It's something you believe in full heartedly. Mm -hmm. Like you're not just like, oh, I want to go live in another country for a year. Like you have this very specific project you want to complete and you have this vision of how it will go down over the course of a year, regardless if it goes down like that, because most things don't once you actually are in the real world, but you want to see this through to completion, like so badly and you'll do whatever it takes. That's what you need to get a full You demonstrated that from your viral YouTube video and your Ted talk and the cards that you'd made. And so you, Mm -hmm. that was all part of your package. Yeah. I I told them all about that and I created a narrative around it. I mean, there was a narrative around it. So like when I gave the Ted talk, a lot of people from Singapore specifically reached out to me asking for help with big talk. So I I like showed that narrative in my Fulbright application and I talked about loneliness and social isolation and East West relations and all sorts of researchy things like saving face culture and why it's harder for people in Eastern cultures to open up vulnerably and things like that. And so I crafted the whole narrative about why big talk, but why Singapore specifically And for like a Fulbright research project, you really need to have both. Like why the project and why in that country specifically? What does that mean to get a Fulbright scholarship? They pay you to be there, put you in an apartment. Like how does it work? They don't put you anywhere. You have to figure it out once you're there, but they do give you money. They gave me like $29,000 to live in Singapore for six to 10 months and do my project. I worked with a professor at the National University of Singapore. But like with Fulbright, it's really like you're on your own. Like you're kind of, you move to a new country and you're by yourself and you got to figure it out. There was the U.S. embassy. And luckily the, the woman who was there who had read my application was advocating for Big Talk. I became close with her. And so I got to do some Big Talk events for the embassy at like their dinners and things like that. And that really helped me establish myself when I moved there. And so like when I arrived in Singapore, I just met everyone I could. And my way of meeting people was by hosting a Big Talk event or something. And it really resonated with people. And like my very first event at the university, I met a girl who I ended up going to Bali with like a week or two later and learned to surf, which is now one of my main passions. And I met another girl that I went to Sri Lanka with. And then we ended up going to Kazakhstan a year later to do another research project. So it's like, I just like followed the path because when you're on your own in a foreign place, all you can do is just follow what feels right at the time. And it can lead to wild adventures. You also had to switch up your strategy. You can't just run, run, go up to people in Singapore. Well, why was no, that? it's not the norm there. It's a very hierarchical society. You can't like mm-hmm. just walk up to strangers with a video camera. Maybe you can now, I don't know. But everything in Singapore is very structured. So I had to host workshops and like focus groups. And that was how I spread Big Talk in Singapore. Like everything had to be part of an existing 
institution or event or whatever. It couldn't just like stand on its own, which was a way that I got to be a part of so many different organizations. Like I did a big talk event for like the Muslim women of Singapore and for the Jewish women of Singapore. And I did one for students and for expats. And it was very much just a kind of like a ticket or passport to meeting different communities within Singapore. And they also love titles there, like kind of shiny things. So like Fulbright Scholar sounds really good to them. So I was welcomed in most places I went to. That experience essentially validated Big Talk for you, right? Like, you, is that 100%. when you decided I'm going to make this my full time thing, or was there a playbook like, okay, this other company has done this, I'm going to follow in their footsteps, or I'm just I got to get my machete out and start hacking away and blazing my own path? A lot of hacking. It was while I was in Singapore that the cards officially got on Amazon, so that was when I was like, <laughs> oh wait, I can make real money doing Big Talk, and then it was like when I was ending my tenure in Singapore that I started getting messages from people asking to pay me to do big talk events. I'm like, oh wait, this can be a real business. So it just kind of happened like that. Maybe it would have been nice if I had a playbook or someone to follow, but I didn't do that at the time. Had you read any business books or any like nonprofit books or anything that kind of give you a little bit of guidance on where to go or how to show up when you're trying to get this thing done? I would read like blogs or things on the internet. You know, when you're like really anxious about something, then you do a Google search and read a couple articles that just validate how you're feeling, like stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. But there wasn't like a Bible book or anything that helped me. I have this thing where I like don't like to read too much or listen to too much. Like, like even actually before moving to Singapore, I didn't even look up what the country looked like. Like I just didn't even look up anything about it. I really like to just like judge something based off of my actual true lived experiences there and not have any preconceived notions. And that's kind of how I've done big talk, whether that's the right way to do it or not. Like I have so many people who are like, why don't you do this? Like you should do this. It's the obvious business thing to do. And I don't for better or worse. I just kind of do what feels right Mm -hmm. at the time. I'm very like intuitive. So I don't run it like a business should be run, I guess, but it's worked so far. (laughs) I live by the beach. Life's pretty good. I remember the first time I crossed paths with someone who had read my first book but they didn't they didn't know that they didn't know it was you that I wrote the book yeah so did you have that experience at all when you heard someone talking about big talk or you saw someone with the cards and they didn't know that you were the one who innovated it that happens sometimes yeah I don't think I'm like a household name enough that that happens all the time it's happened a few (laughs) times (laughs) so you started doing live events Mm -hmm. what is a big talk live event like so it's usually about an hour And I'll give pretty much the same event to school children, to army veterans, to Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, to corporate, whatever. Like, it doesn't matter. And it's about an hour long. So the first 20 minutes, I give basically like my TED Talk, but better now because it's been a few years where I talk more about how Big Talk has made impact. I talk about the epidemic of loneliness. I talk about ways to have a Big Talk conversation, kind of like a little tutorial. And I show the original video that started Big Talk. And then after that, that's about 20 minutes. I do three activities with people. And so the first activity is I pass out the big talk question cards and I tell everyone to stand up and kind of like mix and mingle, like speed dating, speed networking type of thing with the cards and have conversations based off of them or inspired by them. 
And that way people meet a lot of new people in a short amount of time and have a deeper conversation right away. And then for the second activity, I tell people to get into groups of five to seven. So people get into these groups of five or seven, and I put up these like deeper big talk question cards, like digital ones on a big screen. And I tell everyone to choose one of them. And each one really unveils like someone's life story or something deeper they're going through. And I tell them to go around and circle and each choose one of those questions to answer. One of the questions is, when was the last time the way you saw the world change and what inspired that? So questions like that. And people go around and tell their story. And then for the very last activity, I have I pass out blank note cards and really pretty paint pens and have everyone write their own big talk questions and a reflection on the back. And then we do a kind of open mic sharing session where people share their question and then other people in the audience are able to answer that question. And we kind of popcorn back and forth. And then we close out with final reflections or ideas about how to bring big talk into your life moving forward. And so it's all about an hour to an hour and a half. What are some of the takeaways that you have gleaned from this experience over the last seven years? I mean, big talk is like my entire life now. It's the passport to everything else. And it has led to surfing. And it's a way to start a conversation anywhere. But takeaways specifically is like that no one has to feel alone or disconnected or isolated mentally or physically. Like you can just go outside and talk to someone and make a connection. You really can, even though there's like, feels like this weird thick barrier to entry. It really just takes making the first step because it's not like a norm in our society here, at least in the U S to like strike up a really friendly, meaningful conversation with someone for whatever reason. But it's like that in other cultures. I mean, people, I barely get any inquiries from South America. Most of the people who reach out to me are from the United States or Asia or Germany. So I think it's a cultural thing because like we really have to fight to change that culture. And that's something I've realized. And also like if someone seems kind of off to you, like maybe they're actually just shy or insecure. So like Big Talk has really helped me not judge people because once you ask someone a deep question, like crazy stories will emerge and that you never would have known. Like last week I went to go to the doctor and I like started talking to technologist and he's from Haiti. And it turns out he actually came here to be a technologist because his cousin was the prime minister of Haiti who was assassinated a year ago. And like, I just like, you never would know that unless you like start up a conversation that could lead to something like that. And like, he was saying, that's why he decided to like avoid the political world entirely and do something peaceful, like be a technologist, you know, like just things like that. Everyone has a story behind who they are and why they do what they do. And Big Talks really taught me that. Is there anything that people get wrong about Big Talk that you kind of find yourself defending? There's things people get wrong and that they're like, oh, that's weird that you want to go right to the big talk. Like, don't you value small talk? And so maybe I should change the tagline from skip the small talk to move past small talk. Because like, I understand that small talk has a place in society and it's like kind of like a ticket into being able to talk with someone. So yeah, we'll turn it into move past the small talk. So I I believe in small talk to a certain extent, but I don't think that should be the end all because I don't think it's very meaningful or memorable. And I think what big talk really does is turn a conversation into something that's actually memorable and meaningful. What's a good pivot away from small talk to big talk so you don't make it too awkward? So if someone like says, how's work going? And you're just like, good. Maybe a big talk question said to pivot would be like, oh, like what's the project you're most excited about working on right now? And then like, you know, you kind of like there's levels from small talk to big talk. Mm -hmm. Having something like cards 
gives you the ability to skip the levels and to navigate those because it puts the pressure on this instead of on you. And that offers the question right away. But like, if you're doing it on your own, you do kind of have to navigate small talk to big talk to not come off seeming weird or whatever. Um, yeah. Cause it could be weird if you go right to, Hey, how's the weather? What do you want to do before you die? Yeah. You know? And like, that's, yeah. So that's what like people will get wrong about big talk thinking like you have to do it like that. No, you don't have to. That was just like me proving a point through a video, you know, but you can say like, how's the weather? And someone's like, good. I love summer. And you're like, Oh, like what are your favorite summer memories? I don't know. It takes effort, but at least it's such better conversations and it's totally worth it. So what do people get wrong about you? Not too much because I'm pretty much an open book now at this point. I don't know. Cause you make, you make it all look so easy, you know, like do people think it's easier than it actually has been to move this project forward. You and I had a conversation mm. about how you were thinking about turning this into a business, but then it just didn't feel aligned yeah. with where you were inside. You had to make yeah. some transitions out of that. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe the thing that people get wrong or that I've come to learn is like, despite being a really open, big talky person, I don't trust everyone. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm careful. Like I'll be willing to be vulnerable and open and share my story, but I won't like trust everyone with the future of big talk or with my time even. So maybe it's that I'm more, I wouldn't say guarded because that sounds too strong. Then I come off. Like I am a super friendly, open, bubbly, sunny person. I am, but I've had experiences where I've been burned before. So I'm careful. I'm careful and intentional. I think, yes, maybe I make it look easy and it has become easy because I've done this for so long, but I've gone through so many road bumps to get to where Big Talk is now. And how are you thinking about success these days? I don't know, because I've had a lot of people be like, you should do this if you want to make a million dollars. And I'm like, oh, shoot, maybe I do need to make a million dollars. So that's what success is. And that would look really good. And so I think that sounds cool. And maybe like, yeah, I'm not good at like putting these like business objectives and plans down and be like, this is exactly how I will drive revenue, blah, blah, blah. It would be great to make more money through Big Talk so I could keep growing it. But I actually think success is like doing what I'm doing now and expanding it and just keep growing it, like scaling it more professionally as well. But I'm also just having so much fun, like kind of following each moment. Like this past year, I've started hosting these live music Big Talk events. And that just kind of happened organically Mm -hmm. and on accident. And that's been successful to me, not because it like drives money or anything, but because I see how much meaning it has to people's lives. And when people are like, oh, I can't wait for the next one, or I've made so many good friends here, that's successful to me. So success to me is when Big Talk does what it's supposed to do, which is to help fight loneliness and foster community belonging and build empathy or like drive curiosity. So if someone listening to this wants to engage in more Big Talk, what Mm -hmm. do you recommend? Should they go on Amazon, get the cards? Should they just start asking questions? Like what's the next step for them? Yeah, I mean, anything. So they can go to my website, makebigtalk.com. And then if they want the cards, Mm -hmm. you can buy them through the website or through Amazon. And there's also an app of questions. So that's more accessible, especially for people who Mm -hmm. live far away. So it's the Big Talk Question Card app. Wait, Big Talk Question app or something like that. It's also on the website, (laughs) makebigtalk.com. You can engage in Big Talk also by just going out and talking to your neighbors, trying out a question or here or there, reaching out to me directly if you have any specific questions or need help, hosting Big Talks in your own company, school, whatever. There's so many ways to do it. But yeah, if you need ideas, you can start by looking at the website, makebigtalk.com or watching the video on YouTube. And what if someone wants to bring you in to talk about Big Talk? Same thing, go to the website and there's a speaker form or something like this. 
Yeah. Or you can email me Kalina at makebigtalk.com. Well, I just want to offer a couple of reflections. Some of this may sound like a stretch, but I believe everything happens for a reason, right? So yeah. let's start there. And the fact that you were very much into drawing and singing and dancing as a child as your favorite activities. Like when I think about that and that level of expression, you know, what, what those things tend to do for people, and it did it for you. If we're looking back at the Berlin Wall experiences, it inspires people, you know? Somebody had an idea that day to write that question on that wall, probably in spray paint or whatever, and they didn't probably think more about it than any of us think about, you know, anytime we draw something or sing something or write something or choreograph something, it's just for fun. You're just doing it because we feel like that's what what should be done right now. And I feel like you're now doing that for potentially millions, if not billions of people who are going to come across your questions directly or indirectly. And even more so the spirit behind the question, which is let's connect, let's get deeper with one another. Let's go beyond the small talk because that's what the world is, is rapidly moving away from. And we need more luminaries like you who are putting in the work and showing up and creating different ways to help us connect more. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you very much for sticking with it as long as you have. And want to thank you in advance for continuing on to stick with it. And I hope everybody gets a chance to get one of these card decks in their hands. I know you said you just came out with a newer card deck with more cards. Yeah. This blue one's the newer one. It's bigger. Yeah. It has 150 questions. The expansion pack with 150 <laughs> questions. So yeah. That's cool. I didn't even know there was an app. So I'm, I can't wait to use the app. Because I'm actually, what's funny about me is Within my little friend circle, I'm known as the hypothetical question person. Like I'm Hmm. always asking people questions like, what do you want to do before you die? Or even going further than that, what do you think happens when when we die? You know? Mm. And so I'm I'm all over this. I'm like, I'm like white on rice all over this. And I can't wait to get the expansion pack. So yeah, thank you very much for coming on and sharing your story so openly and transparently. And Look forward to crossing paths with you again very soon. Yeah. Thank you for giving me space to share my story and also diving deeper than I feel like a lot of podcast interviewers do. You've asked me questions that no one's asked me before. So that's really cool to be able to share something new. I'm really grateful we crossed paths in Los Angeles and hope to see you somewhere in the world soon. Or if you're coming back, let me know. Thank you. I'm honored. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Kalina Silverman. If you're not already, make sure you follow Big Talk on social media at Make Big Talk. And you can also follow Kalina at Kalina Silverman. That's K-A-L-I-N-A Silverman. And you can grab a copy of one of her Big Talk card decks at MakeBigTalk.com. You can download the app at the App Store. And of course, we'll put links to everything in the show notes, which you can find at lightwatkins.com slash show. And if this is your first time listening to The Light Watkins Show, there's also an incredible archive of interviews with past guests, luminaries like Ed Milet, director Ava DuVernay, spoken word artist Saul Williams, chef Marcus Samuelson, and many others who share how they found their path and their purpose 
You can also search past interviews by subject matter, such as people who have taken leaps of faith, people who've overcome financial struggles, people who've navigated health challenges, right? You can get all of that at lightwatkins.com slash show. Also, you can watch these episodes on my YouTube channel in case you want to connect a face to a story. And if you want to hear the unedited version of the podcast where I leave in all the chit chat and the mistakes and whatnot, you can access that at my happinessinsiders.com online community. And while you're there, you will also have access to my seven day meditation kickstart and my 108 day meditation challenge, along with a ton of other master classes and challenges. And one way to support the show is to leave a rating or a review for this podcast, which you can do really quickly by glancing down at your phone and on the Apple podcast app, just click on the name of the podcast, scroll down past, I think it's seven or eight previous episodes. You'll see a space with five blank stars. And if you found this episode to be inspirational and you want other people to experience these types of stories, click the star all the way on the right and that'll leave a five-star rating. And if you want to go the extra mile and leave a review, just write out a couple things that you really enjoy about the podcast. And this goes a long way in helping this show become more discoverable for other people who are looking for these kinds of stories. So thank you very much for that. And otherwise, I look forward to hopefully seeing you back here next week with another story about someone just like me and you who took a leap of faith in the direction of their purpose. And until then, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, and keep taking those leaps of faith. And if no one's told you recently that they believe in you, I believe in you. Thank you so much and have a great day. If you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again, just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.